Welcome to another episode of the Rise Up Country podcast. Hi, I'm John Ritter. Today, it's going to be a little different because I want to make sure we salute one of the greatest men in country music. We lost him, Toby Keith. I'm going to be playing some stories that Toby shared with us over the years. They'll make you laugh, they'll make you cry, and they'll make you realize what a great man Toby Keith was and how his legacy will last forever. I remember sitting down talking with Toby about all the people that are trying to sell us on why they should be the president of the United States. So I just threw it out to him. The new president of the United States, Mr. Toby Keith. <laughs> so so, no. so, what are some of your policy changes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd fire everybody, man. That'd be the first job. I'd fire everybody. I wouldn't have anybody in the White House that was a politician, first of all. <laughs> wouldn't have no extreme righties, no extreme lefties. Uh, the only one that I can see out there that's as far from a politician that's running for office is Sarah Palin, and she can gut a moose. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd hire uh, uh, Ted Nugent to be my Secretary of Defense. <laughs> <you know? laughs> it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Nah, the Nuge would know. The Nuge would take care of that. <laughs> but no, I'm only kidding. That uh, I just don't deal with politicians very well. I don't deal with the extreme right. I don't deal with the extreme left, and I don't work well with political media. So uh, I'm, you can't buy me either way, and <laughs> and. Uh, it just it makes uh, when politics get in the way it runs everything. Issues are needed to be discussed on a issue by issue basis, and when you start getting partisan politics involved and politicians, they there's so much of that lobbying that goes on in the political world to support your agenda to get something else done. Right. That you'll vote against an issue that you know is not right, just so you can get whatever your agenda is done and just can't stand it. Even the politics that have gotten involved in radio, listen to this. You know, like you said, Sarah Palin can dress a moose. So I said, you need to do a morning show promotion, get these big tough guys driving around in their big four-wheelers to come out and see who can dress a moose the fastest. Get all the TV <laughs> stations out there, and when they get there, you've got four little stuffed bullwinkles up there, and they got to get up there and put a coat on them, a jacket, and a tie. Exactly. Right. You know, and... and the amazing thing about it is that people who make the no most noise in the political world is the extremes, you know. So it's a, you know, it's extreme right and extreme left make all the noise, and eighty percent of America caught in the middle is all, all, you know, turning a deaf ear to it, and trying to make make their world better. But yeah, you just you just don't, uh, you you can't listen to those in politics are so bad. They're just nasty. And I was blown away when Toby told us how he got out of his record deal. Wow. I was sitting in um, Mercury Luke Lewis's office, and we passed this story a bunch, but it was a day of reckoning. I said, this is my best project I've ever turned in, and y'all hate it. So I don't care if you hate it, but just don't put me on the shelf and make me go home not be able to earn my way. Let me go find Just drop me. It won't cost you nothing to kick me out. Just throw me on the street. And let me get up and fight for myself. But if you say, I'm not letting you out of your contract and we're not taking the album, I can't go record for anybody else. So I'm kind of done. And he goes, well, let me think about it. If you still want to in two weeks, you call me in two weeks. And if you, no, he said, if you call me in two days, and if you haven't changed your mind, I'll drop you. I said, 
no, let's go, let's go while the fire's hot. I don't want to, and I'm not going to want to 48 hours from now. I want out right now. I'm not. He goes, all right, well, I said I dropped you. And I said, call the press. Call the Tennessee and put on the headlines that you're throwing me to the street. I don't care. I said, I have one more question for you. He goes, what now? I said, what about my album? He goes, we got a 155,000, 190,000 tied up in it. I said, all right. He goes, so you, you can't take that because we've got our money. I go, can I buy it? You want to buy it? I said, yeah. You believe in it that much? I said, yeah. He goes, well, let me check. Two hours later, yeah, if you want to write a check, you can, you can buy it. So I had my accountant cut me a check. I go over, take the master, walked out, took about eight or nine meetings with everybody in town, gave James Stroud the first one and the last one at DreamWorks. They told me what they could do so I could use that as a as a barometer of what I had, to, what kind of deal I had. And the funny thing is, is I went to, they were really cordial. My manager's well-known in town, and the presidents were really cordial, kind of a, um, just kind of a nice way of saying, just a nice gesture of taking the meeting. Mm-hmm. Not one of them, not one of those nine meetings asked me to play that album for them. <laughs> they brought me in, talked to me. Chatted 30 minutes, bunch wow. of BS, and I, we got up, and I said, screw them, let's go this one. And by the time we got done, I went back, I said, you know what, James is my producer. He believes in this album. This is my best shot of getting it on the radio. Signed with James, and it was How You Like Me Now album. And I sold 25 million records while I was with him. <laughs> that was the day that I went, there's no way, and it ain't like looking back to hindsight's 2020, it was like, I was not going to be able to lay my head down and sleep at night knowing my career failed because they rejected that album and I went and cut the album they wanted me to cut because it wouldn't have been successful. It wasn't as good and it wouldn't have been that successful. And then I'd have had to sleep at night knowing when I stood to risk it all, I had to risk it all or cut the album they wanted. And I could have plotted along and maybe found another spot with a new regime somewhere to get that album heard. Mm Mm-hmm. And it might have happened, but it wasn't going to happen then. And I said, you know, let's let's go. And it was like that day I started dressing out of my closet. <laughs> I started cutting my songs. I started demanding that um, and fighting tooth and nail for everything we released. And it was amazing. It never the story never ended, guys. It was that same fight happened on Talk About Me. That same, better yet, even more ironic. James took the album, said, screw him, let's go put it out. Then he wouldn't release the song, How You Like Me Now. He said it was too dangerous to go with first. So he went with a song called Love Fades, Fades, and it dies at 33 and sits there four weeks. And we already got a million dollars worth of end cap stuff in retail. I'm going, now what do we do? He goes, oh, put that How You Like Me Now song out. And we save the project. Uh, And then then uh, it went through... All of those big hits I had, Who's Your Daddy, Talk About Me, Cursey Red, White, and Blue, Love This Bar, Good As I Once Was, all got resistance from the promotion team. Man, I ain't going to play Good As I Once Was because it talks about a menage a trois in the front of it, two girls and a guy, you know? And then they put something else out. We fought right up to the last day and did the same thing on that one we did on – the others I got 
got pushed through but with a battle. But that's the one they stuck their foot down on and said, it can't come first. We've got too much riding on the album. It'll come second, but it can't come first. When they put their song out and it died, we did the same thing. Came with it. Six-week number one, BMI Song of the Year, Songwriter of the Year. And I had to have it second single off the album, begging them to come with it first. So I can't go run my own record label after watching all that. It's like... <laughs> If you're just tuning into the Rise Up Country podcast, we're going back and revisiting the many conversations we had with the late Toby Keith. What a great man. What a great entertainer. And I never will forget his how do you like me now moment. I told a club owner one time, I had three, I had three contracts with him. And at that time, we was getting 2500 a week for five guys. And I had to book six months in advance. It was in Dallas. So if you cancel on me, I've got to go hire an attorney to fight you. I ain't got that kind of money. I'm a bar band. And they knew it. Well, they wanted to go with another band. Instead of calling us, they booked the band, told us, well, I get to those weeks, and I have no way of booking anything. So my family does without, and we're on a budget that big. And I called him up and dog cussed him. And he said, you know, won't you go to hell? And I said, hey, you remember me. Someday, someday shoes going to be on the other foot. It'll come full circle because everything does in my life. And when it does, you and me, you and me are going to have our come to Jesus meet again. And it happened. That was in Dallas. I was three years in. We're in Atlanta. We pull up. He's got accused stealing money from that bar and been out of business for six years and moved to Atlanta and picks up in that big crystal chandelier, that big 5,000 capacity. We're sold out. The owner's a friend of mine. We pull in there, got the ticket sold out. Owner comes out and says, my brother's coaching Atlanta Hawks game. You won't go? Yep. Barney, my production manager, runs up and catches me before I go and says, guess who's the manager here? I go, who? He goes, Jim from Dallas. I said, oh, show's over with. We're not doing the show tonight. We're, we're done. And Steve Albeck's going, what, what's the deal? I said, you hired that thieving? Uh-uh. We're not doing the show if he's working here. We're out. Just tell him we canceled. No, 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 I'll, I'll kick him out. I'll get rid of him right now. I'll get him out of here right now. And it was like Barney was over doing that. But if you ever get that's a how you like me now moment. If you ever get that shot to get him, you, know, you take advantage of that. And that's oh, yeah. what I got was a meaning from the song. So it's not, um, it's not a, uh, that you have to identify with what I say in every song as much as people grasp that. Um, grasp that concept of where you're going. Everybody can have their own how you like me now story. And so when I got to pushing that envelope and then I and then I did talk about me and then I did um, Courtesy Red, White, and Blue. Could that have ever been played before me? Would anybody have ever played that? I ain't beeping it. Hey, I'm sending it out. If they play it, fine. Enough people play it that they'll go buy it and they'll play it in their own car themselves. They don't have to have radio station play that. And, and I just kept pushing it, and it kept working to where they finally started going, all right, so he can get away with it, wow. but y'all can't. Right? Wow. So I earned enough cred that I kept pushing it, and it would have that void wouldn't have been there. That void would have been empty if we wouldn't have filled it, and that's where the longevity comes from. It's from never letting up, never taking a break, being in sight and in sound all the time and working hard to make it be as good as you can. And always reaching out there and bumping that 
edge just a little bit, pissing somebody off a little bit, but making a whole bunch of people over here happy that you did. And we just kept, and I finally got that window opened up big enough to drive a truck through it, and we did. And that's that's how you put 18 years, because I certainly wasn't going to make it, you know, being Elvis or, or Vance or something. That's who they wanted me to be. They wanted me to be Vance Gill. Heard oh my gosh. it 50 times between 93 and 95. You need to be our Vince Gill. And I was oh like, going, I'm not Vince Gill, guys. I love Vince. He's from Oklahoma, but I'm not that guy. You know, this is me over here. Wow. I mean, Toby says it like it is, doesn't he? But don't let that hardness think that's the only side of Toby Keith. I remember him sharing a story about an old vet that got up on stage and brought him to his knees. Well, in 213 shows in the desert and going in those medvac tents over there where people are coming in right off the battlefield and maybe they've been recovered from surgery for two hours. I learned along, I had to get calloused to that. Uh, it took me 11 years to that many shows and I had to get really callous to walking in and seeing a guy with his legs gone and he's been out of surgery for two hours and he was walking yesterday and he got hit yesterday and he's been in surgery all night and guess what you can't do? You can't walk in there and go, how's it going? You can't walk in there and say, what's up? Because it ain't and it ain't. You know what I mean? Huh. It ain't up and it ain't going. And so that idle chatter that you do every day when you meet somebody on the street, what's up, how's it going, you can't do all that. You've got to find something inside to say to them that's different. So I had to get callous to seeing that, callous to doing that. I think the thing that broke me down with this old man was that he was 92 and how passionate he was with wanting to get my microphone and say, God bless America and tell his story. And it was just so, it was so passionate that I've never seen anything like it on the battlefield. It was, there was nothing I've seen downrange. There's nothing I've seen in those shows that was more um, true and more um, passionate than, than he, what he wanted to do. It was like, I'm 92 and I've showed up in my wheelchair and I want to meet this man because he reminds me of, he said I reminded him of, of what Bob Hope and them used to do back in the day. He fought, he, he said, uh, wow. I fought old Hitler. First time I went to war, we went over and fought old Hitler. <laughs> I'm like, you know, how many people can say that, that they fought old Hitler? Then he went to Nam, he went to the Philippines, and it was just 92-year-old, and he was just so proud. He said, I raised four boys, put them through college, you know. They're uh, they're good men, just like this guy standing right here. And God bless America, and put that hand up there. It was just like I said, "Dang, that's all I can take, man." And I'm pretty calloused, you know. But it was uh, it it was so real. <laughs> it was almost surreal. It was, uh, and and he was there to he was there to deliver a message. And 92 years old, and he was proud that he got to. Uh, Proud he got to serve this country. And there's nothing political about being patriotic. And so when I come and support the troops, or when I'm, we're on the USO board, uh, my agent is a board member now, has been for years. And when we try to get other artists to go over there, the USO will pay you to go. They don't want to be attached to troops because they don't want the political 
Association. And I'm like, there's nothing political about mm. supporting the troops, guys. Oh, my god! I can't get that message out. I thought if I did 213 shows and went downrange and showed them what I did, I might shame somebody into visiting a hospital <laughs> in D.C. Wow. But it doesn't work. The message doesn't get across. They're either too lazy or they're too afraid to go over there or they don't want to be politically associated with it. Wow. And there's nothing political about supporting our military, period. But I can't get it. It really falls on deaf ears. But anyway, Frizzell, Lieutenant Colonel Frizzell, he was, he's a certainly an American hero. You know, you're wondering where all these interviews, all these conversations came from. Well, the Rise Up Country podcast is also a Rise Up Country radio show. Just look us up, John Ritter with Rise Up Country on the Internet, and you'll find a radio station near you. And maybe you've got a comment to make. You can on our Hope Line at 844-717-7774. I remember getting these phone calls when we played the Toby Keith tribute show on our radio show. Yeah, hey, John, this is Mike from Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, the late, great Toby Keith, uh, means a lot to me. Um, you know, being a retired Marine, I remember, uh, him coming over and when I was deployed, um, and I, I watched him, uh, perform a couple of times and, uh, he was amazing. Um, the, both times were in Iraq and, uh, I don't remember seeing him in Afghanistan. But he, 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 you know, did several, several shows. And uh, the guy was a true American patriot and just a fabulous, uh, you know, artist. And, uh, and a heck of a football player, too, back in the day. Um, so, yeah, that, that hit me uh, close to home. And I will always thank him. And uh, what he did is motivated us. He ramped us up. It meant a lot. Anyhow, take care, bud. And Carrie Underwood said it all when it came to Toby Keith and his impact on all of us. There are so many things that can be said about Mr. Toby Keith. I mean, obviously, he's had such a monumental career. He has some of the biggest songs that ever ever were or probably ever will be in country music and obviously has built up that legacy for himself that will that will live on but i think one of the the best things about toby is uh, is his love for oklahoma he's a proud okie and i feel like that's something that always kind of connected us you know we would we'd talk about it he's one of the ones that just he never left like no matter how big and famous he got, he was going to stay in Oklahoma. And uh, he was always the first one there when disaster would strike, tornado or whatever it was, he was the first one like trying to rally the troops and uh, and raise money or, or help out in any way that he could. And I feel like that's one of the, the things that I respect the most about him. He never forgot where he came from and uh, has been such a stellar example to the rest of us to do the same. And uh, he, of course, will be missed, but I know full, full well where he is right now. He is, uh, he's with Jesus, and um, yeah. I, I, for one, look forward to hearing him sing again someday. So prayers and comfort to his family, and uh, we're going to miss you, buddy, but uh, we'll see you on the other side. Absolutely.
You know, no one loved our troops more than Toby Keith. He was honored to go over there any time he could and perform. And I asked him one time, was there one incident that made an impact on him that he'll never forget? Well, there's, there's several. The one that is the most unique to me, um, I mean, obviously there's um, probably First Lieutenant Eric McCray. Uh, I was leaving uh, Iraq in 03, I think. I think it was 03 or 04. And they said, you've been bumped. Uh, I was supposed to leave on a C-17. They said, you've been bumped. There's a bunch of senators over here, and they've taken your, uh, taken your jet. <laughs> So you're playing, and so uh, you're going to have to wait. So uh, what was cool for us is we actually convoyed out to, uh, from, our, from Baghdad out to uh, Abu Ghraib prison, and no one's ever been out there, so we got to see some soldiers and Marines that have never seen anybody. And, uh, but that wasn't on the schedule. When we got back, we started to load our gear onto the next C-17, and they told everybody, remove your covers and just stand out here in formation with us. Um, and they were loading a casket. And so we, our trips are usually filled between, we were leaving Iraq to go to Afghanistan. We'd been there a week. We do a week in each one every year. And uh, our time on the planes usually spent playing spades and listening to iPods. And you're just in a big flying uh, locker room, you know, big flying hangar. And uh, so we break out little tables and chairs and stuff and, you know, fold out the chairs and play mm -hmm. cards and list our iPods and things like that. Well, they load this casket on there, and it's just sitting there buckled down in the middle of our feet, uh, in the middle of the room with with all of our lug all our gear. Huh. And so we rode from, uh, we rode from there to uh, Kuwait City, and uh, they unloaded First Lieutenant Eric McCray, and it was one of the most um, somber, realistic uh, a reality check kind of moments that uh, of time that, that I've ever been involved with. You're actually looking at a flag-draped coffin sitting at your feet, and you, you realize that, you know what, this guy is, there's a sacrifice right there. That, that guy put it all on the line for one thing, and that's for Americans. So like it or not, mm -hmm. he did it for you. And, uh, and so I told somebody in an article this very story and his parents they're in the Portland Oregon area and we played up there and they his whole family came to the show and for years now five or six years we've stayed in touch they make the shows um, we wear that they brought us the, his uh, KIA bracelets <laughs> and um, and we wear them and, and it's uh, it's become a nice uh, relationship now, this is a different kind of story today because I wanted to make sure that we paid tribute to one of the greatest entertainers in country music, Toby Keith. But you can find our other podcast online wherever podcasts are available. And listen, if you have a comment to make, you can go to our Facebook page at Rise Up Country or follow us on Instagram at Rise Up Country. You know, one thing about Toby for sure, he touched a lot of lives right there on the battlefield. Hi, my name's Cliff. I'm from Perryville, Arkansas. I just wanted to give a story about Toby. Uh, he came out to uh, Iraq when I was stationed there up in Missoula and performed for my unit, a bunch of us. And for about 40 minutes while he was up there, he forgot about what all was going on. He didn't have to come out there. He 
made us all laugh. He joked, played us a couple new songs, and did his best to shake everybody's hands, gave out hugs to everybody. You could see it in his face that he was tired, but he did it with a smile on his face just to make sure every single one of us knew how appreciated we were. The man was a, a giant among men and uh, just wanted to share that. So thank you and have a wonderful day. Before we leave you on this Rise Up Country podcast, I thought I'd share a story that Keith Urban told us about a tour that he was on right at the beginning of his career. That was a, that was a wild tour. That was a Neon Circus tour with, with Brooks and Dunn. I was the opening, opening, opening act going on at, I don't know, four in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, playing my 20-minute set. And then uh, Montgomery Gentry came out, played a set. Toby came out, played a set, and then Kix and Ronnie came out and killed it. It was an amazing tour. Uh, I have a lot of stories from that tour. I rode on Toby's tour bus on his 40th birthday, which, is, which was surreal. And there we are rolling down some interstate, and he gets hungry at 2 in the morning, so we pull into a steak and shake, sat in a booth and ordered steak and shake. <laughs> and um, on that tour... We used to, we started getting to the habit of when we would come off stage, we would find the local honky tonk or club where there was country music band playing. And we'd organize for all our tour buses to go to that line dance bar or whatever it was. And then we would get up and just take over from the house band. We would always do it unannounced. And it would be almost all of us Montgomery Gentry, me, Toby, Kix and Ronnie, when they finished, we'd all end up there playing. And it was amazing because sometimes these clubs would only have six people in them because everybody's at the concert and these people couldn't go to the concert. And so we show up, jump up and start playing songs. And then the club would fill up and then people would have you signing all their shirts and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, I thought, I'm just going to sign Keith instead of both of my names. It'll cut my signing time in half. Anyway, I'm like, so I, I'm writing my, I'm writing Keith on all these shirts. And then at the end of the night, I noticed these people's whose shirts are signed. And it's like, it's got more writing on it. And I went over and looked. Toby started just writing his name first, but he'd put it right in front of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so he got a full signature and I got nothing. Oh, that is great. <laughs> That's the way Toby Keith was. He always told it like it is. He was a great man who paid tribute to our troops whenever he could. He encouraged other entertainers to go entertain him. And, man, he left us some great country music. Keep his family in your prayers. Listen, till next time on the Rise Up Country podcast, remember, no matter what you're going through, never, never give up. Just rise up. This is John Ritter, and I'll see you next time.